What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Preach Christ Podcast. I'm your host, Norris Johnson II, and I'm so glad that you're here rocking with me again. Guys, we had such a great response to the first podcast. If you have not listened to it, I strongly advise you to go and listen to it. I'm sorry, to go and listen to it. It's been a long time, and I shouldn't have left you without a dope beat to step to. It's been about two weeks since the last episode, and the last episode was entitled, You Need God to Love God, and I think it'll bless you tremendously. If you have not already, go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and uh, download this episode. It is about to be a good one. I have been praying and really asking God what to talk about and what to what to bring to people. I don't like to just come and just create content and just mass produce content. Um, I really feel like I'm not called to do that. I think that I'm more so of a messenger, more so of somebody that just comes and gives what the Lord tells me to um, and whatever's relevant at the time, at the time. So um, this thing has been prayed over and uh, we're going to deal with something that you've probably heard before. But the title of this one is the necessity of death, the, the, the necessity of death or a necessary death. And um, I want to I want to talk to you about a story in the Bible that you've heard every Easter, you've heard every Christmas, you've heard every Sunday. You you've heard this before. And if you're an atheist or a non-believer listening to me, hey, uh, <laughs> what up? You probably never heard this, so I'm probably just talking to you. But uh, this is a message we've all heard before, and it's about a man by the name of Lazarus. You guessed it. I know. Uh, I know you've heard it before, but I guarantee you, you probably have never heard it like this before. And I want you just to stay tuned for the next 30, 40, I don't, I don't know how many more minutes. But I want to I wanna open up some things in this story to you that might be able to help you in what you're doing or in where you are at in life right now. If there's one thing 2020 showed us under a microscope or in 3D in real time, it is how traumatizing death can be. How traumatizing death can be. I'm only 26 years old, if you don't know, and I've never seen as much death as I have seen in the last year ever in my life, ever at one time or ever in one year in my life. I saw so much death last year that it that it messed with me. We've seen uh, the unjust deaths of black people in the community or, or uh, we've seen deaths of celebrities. We've seen deaths of just regular people, cousins, aunties, uncles due to the coronavirus or other conditions and different things that have happened. We've seen so much death. I've talked to nurses who, who, who uh, uh, in their hospitals, they've never seen so many bodies piled up in the morgue. They've never seen so much death around them. We dealt with the death of Kobe Bryant. We dealt with the death of Chadwick Boseman. We've dealt with the deaths of very powerful, very key people, people in the body of Christ and people in the world. Death is a traumatizing thing. And I think as we looked in 2020 and saw the effects of death in the physical, I think one of the deaths that we overlooked is deaths that have nothing to do with the physical. There are things in our lives that die every day that aren't necessarily our lives. <laughs> Relationships die. 
Careers die. Connections die. Many things die. And one of the things that we don't tell you when you come into Christianity a lot of times is that God is going to require some things to die. He's going to require the deaths of certain things. The deaths of certain things will be necessary. And I don't think we talk about that enough. I don't think we explain that enough. I think a lot of times you come into Christianity and we sell it to you. We sell it to you as everything is about to change. You are a go- you are going to get something great. Something good is about to happen in your life. And a lot of times you give your life to God. You come into this life called Christianity and everything sucks. I said it. Everything sucks. You lose the boo you've had for years. You lose the job you've had. You lose certain things. But the payout, the beauty of it, the the thing at the end is what keeps you. I mean, we serve a we serve a savior who the Bible says he endured. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. That means he despised the process he went through. He hated every moment of it. But for the joy set before him, which means he looked to the end and he knew that everything that he lost was necessary. The joy set before him, he endured the cross and was able to deal with how bad he hated the shame. There are some deaths that are necessary, and I want to talk to you about the necessity of death or necessary deaths in this story about Lazarus we find it in John chapter 11 now the unique thing about this being in John is that this story is only found in John when you read the gospels you read Matthew Mark Luke and John you see Matthew Mark Luke and John and Matthew Mark Luke and John are four different perspectives of the life of Jesus Christ four different perspectives and Each perspective is based on that person's life. For an example, if I tell you a story that something that happened to me and the same thing happened to Bobby, me and him are going to tell it from two different perspectives because we have two different vantage points. We have two different uh, 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 upbringings. We have two different everything. And so we're going to tell you a story about the same event, but it'll sound differently coming out of both of our mouths. And so when we look at John, John's mission when he wrote his gospel was literally to show that Jesus Christ is God. That's the only thing he wanted to show the divinity of Christ. He wanted to show that Jesus was God. And in John's book, you're going to see stuff that you're not going to see in all the other books. You're going to see it in stuff that you're not going to see in all the other books. One of those things you're going to see is the story of this guy named Lazarus. The reason why I think John puts the story of Lazarus in his gospel and nobody else puts it in theirs is because this is a key part of you understanding how God works, how God works. So when we look at John chapter 11, verse one, and I'm sorry, I read the new, uh, the King James version. I don't, I don't, I don't read other stuff. I do. I do. I do. But I, but I just read the King James version more. Um, and so please don't be confused. I'm going to talk. I'm a, don't trip. All right. Don't trip. But in John chapter 11, it says, um, 
Verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And verse 2 tells you, It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, it's telling you that because they want you to see that these are not people that are foreign to God. They're not they're not people that are foreign to Jesus. Jesus knows these people. As a matter of fact, Mary uh, honored him so much that she anointed him and wiped his feet with her hair. It was her brother. It was her brother that was sick. And Jesus loves these people. It's specifically a family that Jesus loves. Everybody else that Jesus heals and raises from the dead and different things of that nature, he didn't know them. Of course, he knew him, you know, being God, but he didn't know them. He didn't have personal relationship with them. When he raises Jairus' daughter, he didn't know her. That was Jairus coming and asking him to do this. He just raised her up. He didn't know Peter's mother-in-law. He didn't know different people that he did. But these people specifically, he knew them. He had relationship with them. He ate with them. He chilled with them. He sat with them. He had relationship with these people. And it was their brother, Lazarus, who Jesus sat and ate bread with and talked about the game with and did all these different things with. It was their brother that was sick. And the Bible says, verse three, therefore his sister sent unto him saying, sent unto Jesus saying, Lord, behold, the person you love is sick. They're saying this because what they're saying is we don't know about nobody else. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know about Bobby down the street. We don't know about we don't know about uh, Sharonda around the corner. But Jesus, this time, this time, somebody you actually love is sick. It's almost insinuating that Jesus didn't love anybody else. <laughs> no, 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 no. Your favorite, this guy, he's sick. He's sick. Jesus, the one that you love is sick. And the Bible says when Jesus heard that he was sick, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God might be glorified thereby. Basically saying this thing isn't going to kill him, but this thing is happening so that I can get glory out of it so that I can get glory out of it. Now, the unique thing is they're telling him the one that you love is sick because they believe that if I tell you that this is your special one, this is the one that actually chose you. This is the one that goes to church every Sunday. This is the one that gives back to the poor. This is the one that gives to charity. This is the one that prays to you every night. This is the one that holds up the family's arms in prayer. This is the anchor of the family. This is this is this is the God that's actually trying to turn his life around. Jesus, the one you love is sick. Now, we don't know about nobody else, but the one you love right here is sick. The one that gave his life to you is sick. And it seems that Jesus doesn't care that the one he loves is sick. You know, sometimes when you get saved and you give your life to God and all those things, it seems like you are better off in the world or it seems like God has taken more care of people that don't care nothing about him <laughs> that he is for you. Now, God, why am I losing my job? Why am I, why am I doing that? I, you know, I paid my tithes. If, if uh, you believe in that, cause you know, some people don't believe in that. No, 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 no. But uh, God, I pay my tithes. God, I go to church. God, I help out the poor. God, I, you know, you know, I gave gifts to other kids and my kids ain't getting it. God, why is this happening to me? And God says to them, this sickness is not going to kill him but it's for the glory of God that the son of God might be glorified thereby. 
And then in verse five, right after it says that, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse six, when he had heard that he was sick, he stayed two days in the same place he was. Now, ain't that a crazy sequence of scriptures right there? First, it tells you now. This is John talking to you. John is like, okay, now, before I say this, let me tell you something. Now, he loves Martha. He loves Mary. He loves Lazarus. But after he heard he was sick, he still stayed two days intentionally. He stayed two days in the same place where he was. God, I've been asking you to move. I've been asking you to help me. My debt is due. My rent is due. I am going to be evicted. Please help me. And it seemed like God stayed in the same place. He was. You ain't moved an inch for me, God. I mean, I mean, the manager got meaner. The 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 the, the landlord got more ornery. Everything seemed to go. My husband got more evil towards me. My wife looks like she still don't care. I. I did you stay in the same place? Did you move? Can you move? In verse seven, then after that, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. And his disciples said unto him, the Jews just tried to kill you over there. Why are you going back over there? I'm paraphrasing. This is the NJV, North Johnson version. Verse nine, he says, uh, are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day and he stumbled, if not, um, if any man, if any man walks in the day, he's not going to fall. He's not going to stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. All these different types of things he says to them. But then in verse 11, he says, these things said he. And then after he said this, he said, our friend Lazarus is sleep. Our friend Lazarus is sleep, but I'm going to go and wake him up out of his sleep. And his disciples look at him and they're like, uh, dude, if he's sleep, then he okay. You don't need to go. You don't need to go get him up out of his sleep. If he's sleeping, he's OK. And then Jesus says to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Which means I stayed intentionally until he died. There was a reason why Jesus didn't move for two days. He wanted to wait until Lazarus died. It was not enough that he was sick. God wanted to wait until Lazarus died because he could not get what he was trying to get out of him. The glory he was trying to get until Lazarus died. And he goes and he tells the disciples that Lazarus is dead. First, he gives them his perspective. His perspective in verse 11, he says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I'm going to go wake him up. His disciples then miss the whole point and say, well, if he's asleep, then he's good. And Jesus has to break it down in their terms and say, Lazarus is actually dead. In your terms, in your human terms, this thing is dead. In my perspective, it's just sleep and I'm about to wake it up. But in your terms, it's dead. And you don't understand the way I'm thinking. So let me break it down to you. He's dead. But this is the reason why he's dead. I'm happy. I'm happy. Verse 15, I'm happy for your sakes that he's dead. And I'm glad I was not there when he died so that you can believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him again. There are certain things that God simply lets die. 
and we don't want to believe that. We don't want to. We don't want to think that. We don't want to. We don't want to accept that. We don't want to believe that that God actually lets certain things die. He actually allows certain things to die because if they do not die, He cannot receive glory in your life. I think one of the biggest hindrances sometimes to our lives is the things that are alive and well and thriving, and the things we don't need His help in. The things that become a crutch to us, the things that become our livelihood to us, the things that become our everything to us. Those things become everything to us. And God now is basically allowing this to die. He allows Lazarus to die. And he's excited. Because now he's going to get Lazarus to really believe in him. You wouldn't really believe in God until things got so bad, until things got so jacked up, until things got so overwhelming. And it's at that point where he snatches in, where he, where he snatches you out and does the things that he has to do, but he allows him to die. Verse 17 says, and then when Jesus came and found that Lazarus was in the grave for four days already. He, he, he came and saw that he was in the grave for four days already. I want to I want to explain something to you about Jewish culture. It wasn't until four days after you were dead in that time that they actually understood that you were dead. Rigor mortis has set in. Decay had set in. Different things had set in. And now they knew that that Lazarus was dead. Jesus didn't want to come until his death was literally final. If Jesus had came and rose him up on the third day, then they might have been able to attribute that to other things and different things of that nature. No, Jesus wanted his death to be final. Sometimes God waits until the door is like literally shut. Like there is no coming back. There is no there is no making up. There is no fixing this. There is no nothing. There's nothing that can help the situation. There's nothing that can get me back with her. There's nothing that can make me love him again. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. The bridge is burnt. There's nothing. He let him lay there for four days. And that word four in the Bible, four uh, numbers, numbers have prophetic uh, 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 significance in the Bible. And that number four uh, in the Bible represents creation, it represents when God created the sun, the moon, the stars. And he created those things so that he can establish between times, days, seasons, years. And that word seasons in Genesis, in the Hebrew, is a word called moed, which literally means an appointed time. And I believe Jesus let it die and waited until an appointed time, until an appointed time. Sometimes your biggest breakthrough looks like death. Sometimes your biggest moment where God is about to do something spectacular, ridiculous in your life, it looks like death. It looks like death. It looks like death. And, and he waits until those four days, until that appointed time. And now the Bible says, now Bethany was, was, was about 15 furlongs off or some blocks off. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, what I want you to see right there is in Jewish culture, they would hire mourners. You heard that right. They would hire mourners. 
uh, they would pay people to come and cry with them when somebody died. They would pay people to come and cry with them when somebody died. That was like a natural thing. That was like a normal thing in their culture. They would come and pay you to come and help them or to cry with them and just to surround them and kind of empathize with them, but to cry with them. And so when it says that there were many Jews that came to comfort Mary and Martha concerning her brother, those are people that they probably hired. Those are people that just came to cry and stay with them. The Bible says Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary stayed still in the house. You know, you know, you know, you know, Mary is kind of like us, kind of like us, because First of all, they lived in a town called Bethany and Bethany in the Hebrew actually means house of dates or house of misery. And sometimes we know Jesus is here. We know the answer is there, but sometimes we don't even have the strength to get up and get out of our own misery. Mary sat still in the house. She sat still in her misery because death is a traumatizing paralyzing thing when something you love it does not have to be a person it does not have to be all the things that we think when something you love when something you thought was not supposed to leave you dies it paralyzes you have you ever been at a place where you don't even know how to pray like you can't even open up your mouth to even open up your mouth what it would would require you to exude some type of energy that you don't even have. You, you don't even know how to open up your Bible at this moment. They tell you to pray. They tell you to do all these things. And all you can literally do is sit still. Sit still in misery. She sat still in the house. It's, it's, it's already hard enough <laughs> that I felt like God was going to do it. And now that he didn't do it, I just, I, I don't know. Not only did she sit still in misery, but she hired people to feed her misery. Isn't it sad how when you get to that low place, everything around you, you start to build or or, uh, bring things around that help feed that low place, that dark place that you're in. She hired them to come and cry with her. And she fed her own misery. The Bible says that she now feels this misery. She feels this pain. She sat still in the house. So Martha hears that Jesus is coming and Martha runs out of this house. She runs out of the house and she gets to Jesus. And the only thing she can do at this moment is complain about what Jesus did not do and what he could have done had he been there to actually help and had he been there to actually do all the things that he claimed he can do and should do. And she goes and she complains and then Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha says to him, I know he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever uh, liveth and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
Now, Jesus is giving that truth to her and he's trying to get her to see that this is a reality that even though things seem dead, even though things seem jacked up, even though things seem messed up, I am the life. I am the resurrection. I can bring all things back to life, starting with you. Sometimes, now I really want you to catch what I'm about to say, because sometimes God allows things around you to die so that you can realize that you were really dead. <laughs> Sometimes the things around us put on this facade or mask the actual fact that we are not as healthy spiritually as we should be. We are not as whole spiritually as we should be. We are not as complete spiritually as we should be. We are not as connected to God as we should be. And he allows things to die to show you that those things were really your life source and not him. We lose hope. We lose heart. And just like Mary, we sit still in our miseries. As Martha's coming up to him and she's talking to him, she's revealing and exposing that her whole perspective of God has been wrong. Her whole perspective of Jesus has been wrong. She says, I know my brother's going to get up uh, at the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Now, she had a very high understanding of God. She had a very high understanding of Jesus. She had a very high and mighty understanding of him, but she really didn't know him. And it wasn't until her brother died that she was able to be confronted with the fact that she really didn't know God. She really didn't know Jesus. She really didn't know who he really was and what he actually really could do. And that death revealed that. This is a part of the reason why some deaths are necessary because they reveal how much you really were close to or knew God. Sometimes God allows things to die so that you can see you were not as healthy as you thought you were. Some things must die. But the unique thing that happens now is that when he says that to her, she says, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the God, the, the uh, son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had said this to Jesus, the Bible says she went and called Mary, her sister, secretly. This is verse 28 of John 11. And she says to him, she says to Mary, the master has come and he's calling for you. As soon as Mary heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. She arose quickly and came to him. Now, here's the thing. The Bible says she she got up real quick and she ran. Soon as she heard Jesus is calling for you, soon as she heard the master is calling for you. She got up from where she was at and she ran to Jesus quickly. When she got to Jesus, the Bible says Jesus still had not come into Bethany. He still had not gone where she was at. She left where she was at and came out of the town and came right to where he was. And sometimes God will get close enough, close enough for us to know that he's near, but far enough for us to have to leave the place we are to go to him. We always talk about how God will come and meet you right where you are. But sometimes where you are is too dangerous. 
Sometimes where you are is the problem. Sometimes where you are is the issue. And sometimes God has to pull you from where you are and bring you to where he needs you to be. I just told you that Bethany, uh, another name for it was house of dates or house of misery. Not and and I don't want you to think about that in a literal sense, but I want you to think about that figuratively, spiritually. I want you to see that spiritually. See how a lot of times when things die in our life, we can sit in misery, we can wallow and we can be in self-pity. We can stay in those dark rooms. We can stay in dark places. We can make our music reflect our mood. We can do all these different types of things. And what God is trying to get us to do a lot of times is come out from the place that we're comfortable with and run to him. And Mary runs to him. Yeah, she runs. She runs to him. And when she gets to him, the Bible says the Jews or the people she funded, the mourners, the professional mourners, the Jews who were in the house with her, saw her get up, ran after her because they thought she was going to the tomb to cry. They thought she was going to go stay in that dark place. They thought she was going to go stay in that mess. They they ran after her and followed her. And they were weeping and crying with her. And the Bible says that when Mary got to Jesus, she saw him and just fell down at his feet. And she said the same thing that Martha said, but she said it with a different heart. It was so much pain inside of Mary. Because she was the one that while Martha was cooking, when Jesus came over the house one time, while Martha was cooking and doing everything, Mary just sat at Jesus's feet and just listened to his words. Oh, she had such a close relationship to him. And this death hurt her the most. And it hurt her deeply because she just could not understand that God, if you really loved me, why would you let this happen? She could not understand that. And the Bible says when she runs to him, she falls at his feet. But remember, the Jews have ran after her, have followed her, and they are weeping. They are crying. And the Bible says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw the Jews behind her weeping. He groaned in his spirit and he was troubled. You see, Jesus knows the outcome of the situation. He's been confident. He's even said that Lazarus was asleep. He knows the outcome of the situation. But the problem or not even the problem, the thing is he can know the end of our situation. And still sympathize with us in the middle of it. Yeah, I know that he's going to raise up from the dead, but I feel what you feel. Isn't it amazing that the thing Mary funded, the mourners she funded now followed her? Sometimes we fund our own misery. And we can't escape it. And the Bible says in verse 34, Jesus says, where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? And I believe that this is God's question for you going into 2021. Where have you laid that dream? Where have you laid that marriage? Where have you laid that relationship? Where have you laid where have you laid your connection to me? Where have you laid your hopes? Where have you laid your ambition? Where have you laid the thing that died? Where have you laid your child? Where have you laid your father? Where have you laid your mother? Where have you laid your family? Where have you laid that thing? And they said, Lord, come see. In verse 35, one of the shortest verses in the Bible says, and Jesus wept. Jesus didn't just weep because 
he was sad with them or because he knew Lazarus. I believe that Jesus took on what Mary was feeling. And he felt it with her. This is why the Bible says we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Yes, certain things need to die, but it does not mean that you are not allowed to grieve over dead things. And it does not mean that he will not grieve with you. Jesus wept. He took on what was following her. He took on what was troubling her. He took on what was bothering her. He groaned in his spirit. He was troubled in his spirit. And the Bible says in verse 36, then the Jews said, behold, how he loved him. They did not measure Jesus's love by him getting Lazarus up out of the grave. They measured Jesus's love by Jesus being able to empathize with the pain of Mary over the fact that her brother is dead. We know he loves us because he feels with us. We know he loves us because he feels with us. It's not a trivial thing to him that you're crying at night. It's not a trivial thing to him that you feel the way you feel. It's not a trivial thing to him that you're hurt the way you're hurt. It's not a trivial thing to him. Yes, even Jesus cries. And even Jesus cries with you. Jesus wept. But he doesn't just weep without an answer. He weeps. And he asks you, where have you laid it? Let me go deal with the pain. Let me go deal with the hurt. Let me go deal with this and let me show you my glory in it. It's necessary that it dies so that you can see another side of me you have not seen before. And so that that can carry you into what is to come next. If I did not kill it, you would not know me. <laughs> he then says to some of them, he says to them in verse 38, as he's groaning and coming up to the grave, he says to them, take away the stone. When he says, take away the stone, Martha comes up to him and Martha says, uh, Lord, listen, by now he stinks. It has been dead four days. They've covered it up and by now it stinks and it's been dead four days. They covered it up and by now it stinks because he's been dead four days. And I'm talking about the decaying of flesh. I had a friend tell me one time that experienced the death and that experienced somebody that had died and decayed over time. And he said, you will never, ever, ever forget the smell of death. You'll never forget the way it smells, the stench of it. It almost knock you out, knock you off your feet. The smell of death, the smell of a dead thing. And it makes you keep it covered up. Have you covered up the issues in your marriage? Because now, by now it stinks. By now it's seeping through the cracks. By now, you can't trick the family and let them know that you actually love your husband. You can't you can't trick the family now and act like you guys' marriage is all together. By now, when you go to the family reunion, it stinks. They can tell by the way you're cold. They can tell by the way he doesn't want to touch you. They can tell by the way you don't even look at each other. They can tell by the way you sit on different sides of the table now. They can tell it stinks by now. Are you trying to cover up that addiction because it stinks by now? Now your lips are getting black. Now, now, now money's coming up missing. Now you're losing time on your job. Now things are starting to stink. Now this relationship is getting out of control. He's too abusive. 
person. Now, now I'm wearing shades around the family. Now my eyes are black. Now, now I can't stop crying. Now I'm an emotional wreck. Have you covered it up? Because it stinks now. And what Jesus is requiring them to do is something that human beings don't comprehend. Something that does not make sense to our logical senses and what we are and in, in a, in a, what we believe. Why would you want me to uncover something that is a mess? I know when company comes over a house, sometimes if your family is clean, mm-hmm. If your family's clean, you you a lot of times if you have a room that you did not clean, you shut that door and can't nobody go in that room. All right, y'all stay in the living room. Don't come back here because there's things back here that I don't want you to see and think it represents me or the best of us. And we cover up parts in our life like that. And what Jesus says to them, she says, Lord, by now he stinks. Y'all, this is her brother. Now, you just did, Martha, you just did all that crying. You just did all that weeping about what he should have did, how he should have did it. And now that he's actually come to do it, you don't want him to do it because it's going to require for him to expose something you don't want to be seen. (laughs) We can do all this crying and praying and all that type of stuff. But when it comes down to it, when God really wants to start to actually do something, it's going to cause for us to expose some stuff that we don't want to come out the closet. No, please don't tell them that I do that. Please don't tell them that I'm, I'm that nasty. Please don't, please don't tell them that he, he actually beats me. I know I pray that you heal my marriage, but I didn't know that it was going to cost me exposing my marriage. I know that I know that I pray that you would actually heal my my home, but I didn't know that it, you would have to uncover some secret things my mother did or some secret things my dad did that I never knew about. I don't want you to uncover the fact that they touched me. I don't want you to uncover the fact, Jesus, that they molested me. But Jesus is saying, if I don't uncover it, how can I heal it? If I don't roll the stone away, how could I heal it? And Jesus says, Jesus tells the the Jews who covered it up. He says, you roll away his stone. Yeah, you roll away his stone. You roll away his stone. I'm not going to do that. I need you to take the stone off your heart. I need you to take the stone off of your situation. I need you to stop being so cold. I need you to roll away the stone you put over there. Get rid of all your cover-ups. You expose it. Guys, I want to give you a prophetic message for 2021. Are you ready? Stop making God expose your mess and you expose it before anybody else does. You expose it. Roll away this stone. I don't care if he stinks. I don't care if everybody in the world smells it. Why? Because I'm about to get him up. I'm about to get him up. Verse 40. After Martha says, hey, he been dead six days, four days. Jesus says, did I not say unto you that if you would believe you're going to see the glory of God, that if you believe me, you're going to see my glory in that dead marriage. You're going to see my glory in your dead life. You're going to see my glory. If didn't I tell you that if you really believe me, you're going to see my glory. True belief comes when there is no other option. 
Can you believe me when there's no physical way out? That's why death is necessary because death is final. And belief after death is crazy. You can believe all day while there's still hope, but belief after death is crazy. How do you believe after it's dead? And the Bible says that they took away the stone. Jesus prays to the father. He said, I thank you that you've heard me. And I knew that you heard me always, but it's because of these people that I stand by and I say this, that they can believe that you have sent me. And with a loud voice, he calls out and says, Lazarus, come forth or Lazarus, come out. Now, I want you to think about this, because in their time, when they buried you, they didn't they didn't bury you how we do it. We have such an Americanized understanding of the Bible. This is Middle Eastern times in ancient times when they buried you or when they put you in a tomb, they put you in like almost like a mummy type wrap where you're wrapped up and your legs are together. Your, your body's together. Think about a mummy that's just wrapped up and they put a napkin over your head. So your whole head is wrapped up, eyes covered up, all that your body is covered up. Your body's covered up. You're totally wrapped up and you can't walk in that. You have to jump or hop or scoot. So when he calls Lazarus out, remember Lazarus's body is decaying. Beetles and bugs have now begun to eat his flesh, all those types of things. Jesus moves away the stone, calls out and says, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. He was completely bound with grave clothes, but he came out of the cave himself. I need you to think about this because if he's bound hand and foot, he can't walk out. He's got to jump out. He doesn't even have uh, his eyes open so that he can see his way out. He's literally going by Jesus's voice. This is why Jesus called with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. So Lazarus could follow his voice, even though he could not see and he could jump out, hop out. And what this shows you is that when you follow the voice of God and not what you can feel or not what you can see, you will move by leaps and bounds. You will move by leaps and bounds. God will help you to move by leaps and bounds. Why? Because the just don't live by their sight. The just live by faith and it takes faith to move when you cannot see, when you cannot feel, when you can only hear and you're hopping out of a dark place and coming into light. Death is necessary. And the way God gets you out is unconventional. Lazarus comes out and he comes out with his grave clothes. He doesn't take off his clothes in the, in, in, uh, the cave. He doesn't take off his clothes in the tomb. He comes out with his clothes because a lot of times God wants you just to get out of the environment before you start to unravel. A lot of times God is not trying to get you to take, to take a bath before you take a shower. If you needed to be clean to be saved, you would never need to be saved. You have to come out of certain things before he begins to take off the clothes and the look of that thing. He had to come out of the grave before his grave clothes could be taken off. Start by just going to church. 
I know you ain't got no outfits. I know I know all your outfits show your cleavage. I know all your skirts is short, all that stuff. Just come. We'll deal with the grave clothes when you get here. <laughs> we'll deal with those things when it when it comes. When he comes out, Jesus says, now loose him and let him go. As you go, God will start to unravel and take away the grave clothes. Take away the things that have been binding you. Take away the things that have been keeping you. As you go, God will strip you of the stuff that held you before. This is the God we serve, and there's nothing greater. I want to encourage you that the deaths that you experienced, the things that you experienced, yes, they were necessary, and no, they were not meant to kill you. They were only meant to show forth the glory of God. I know you lost a lot in 2020, but it's to show off the glory of God, to bring you to life first, and then bring back to life all the things that should come back properly. If you're struggling in your marriage, I encourage you to hold on. Don't sign those papers just just yet. Listen to God. Hear his voice. I know you can't see. I know you can't feel. Hear. Come out of misery. Come out of those dark places. Hear him. See what he wants you to do. And he'll change you as everything else changes. Well, thank you so much for listening to episode two of the Preach Christ podcast. I want you to subscribe and I want you to share this and let people know that we are on and that we are moving. I love you guys so much and I pray that something was said that blessed you. You've just been tuned into the Preach Christ podcast. Take care.